true story of Eric Liddell and his wife. And you probably can still get it on CD or download it, and I would encourage you to do so, for it is a very inspiring story of Eric. When he finished those Olympics, he went off to Africa with his wife as a missionary and committed his life to serving the Lord in Africa until he went home to be with the Lord through a medical uh, uh, problem with his life. But it is inspiring. And this is an inspiring day. There's nothing more blessed than seeing people, young people, stand before you and stand before the world and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. As a pastor, it's one of the most rewarding moments in one's life. And I know Ken's heart is filled with joy to see a couple of young people who are under his tutelage not only come to Jesus, but to declare their faith in him. Most of you, or some of you, will recall a few weeks ago when I had the privilege to fill in for Pastor Zig as he came down with the flu on one of his speaking weekends. And I spoke to you about a mini-series that I had begun called Pentecost for Real. And I said in that message that there were some identification markers, or more importantly, there were some ingredients that I believed we need to approach in our lives, the life of TBC and the life of our individual lives, to be a person and or a church of the Pentecost, or perhaps what we might call a spirit-filled church or a spirit-led church. Make sure I got my PowerPoint and Ken gave me instructions. But there were six things that I said to you in that message that were important, and it came from Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John were going up to the temple gate beautiful, and they were able to see a paraplegic young man sitting at the gates, and they had just come from Pentecost. This was early after their experience of receiving the Holy Spirit, and they went to a very familiar place, which was their church or their temple, and they'd gone there many times, but the first time, this is the first time they actually saw that paraplegic who had been there since he was young, begging for alms. And so there were six ingredients or six characteristics that I believe will identify those who are truly spirit-filled followers of Christ. It begins by seeing your common world through the eyes of God. Seeing your world in a new light, empowered by the Spirit. And you have an expectancy that God is going to do something. Often we come to church and we're not so expectant. And so God honors where we are. If we don't expect anything, he may not do anything. Thirdly, we need to participate and be a partner in God's healing hand, recognizing that he gave his disciples all the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, 
and do more than he did, as he said in his word. Greater things than this will you see. It ignites joy. We stand amazed, and we become a witness. Well, I want to move us on this morning to Pentecost for Real, part two. Pentecost for Real, part two, and it is this. Realizing our spirit-filled potential by being a determined church. Realizing our spirit-filled potential by being a determined church. If you were to sit and chat with my wife and the word sports would come up, she would say, oh no. My passion when I have my time off is to watch sports. Probably to a fault. But I love competitive sports. It doesn't matter what it is. I can sit for three hours in front of my TV and watch darts. I can watch 10 or 15 ends of curling, 12 hours of someone golfing. Oh, yes, baseball, football, hockey, all of that too. But my favorite sport to watch is coming again this year. The Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. I love the Olympics. They are amateurs trying their best to reach the pinnacle, to reach the fulfillment of their dreams. And I can remember going back, this fellow I only read about, Jesse Owens, of course, was the first colored man, first black person to run in the Olympics in Germany just as the Nazi regime was starting to come into fold in 1936. I was a young man in boot camp in the army when I watched Cassius Clay win the gold medal for the United States. But my fondest memories really come from this next one, Montreal, when Nadia Comaneci and Bruce Jenner won gold for their countries. And who could forget when basketball was finally approved as an Olympic sport, the great dream team from the United States won the gold. There was a transition in the Olympics at that time, for that's the pinnacle time when the Olympics changed from not just amateurs, but also professionals, or in other words, became the best of the best. But I am always amazed and I, when I watch high-level athletes and often contemplate in my mind about what it took to get them there. Over the next few weeks, I am going to look at the qualities of great athletes, but more importantly, also the qualities it takes to be a gold medal follower of Christ. Pastor Sig and I will be sharing the pulpit this summer and on into the spring and, and winter. And so I will continue my mini-series on my opportunities this summer. I want to use the life of the Apostle Paul as a backdrop for our spiritual thoughts and see what lessons can be learned from the scriptures to help us live a gold medal life or a gold medal spirit life. But it begins with the proper motivation, the proper attitude. And we find that in Philippians 3, 10 to 14, as Paul writes. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling. When I read that, and as I prepared, as I was going through this mini-series, in this little passage of Scripture, I saw two great word pictures and that, it, that can be found, and if we fully digest the picture words, it will produce within us a visible church of the Pentecost and or an identified body of spirit-led believers. There are two pictures. First of all, identifying the race and running the race. To be successful in any race, we must recognize, identify, and focus on the finish line. My son, I, I was reminded of that this morning with David. My son, when he was about David's age and a bit younger, it all started, he loved extreme sports. I think he broke bones on skateboards, on snowboards. Later in his teen years, he decided to go skydiving, much to my wife's chagrin. And now that he's in his 40s and has a family, his passion has been transferred to marathon running. But not just marathon running, but running 50, 60 kilometers up mountains. And I'm amazed when he gets a new place or a new peak that he's going to try to conquer with his friends or he just enters into a race, I watch him prepare. And he will be at home and he will get his little backpack ready with uh, lots of fluids and nutrition things that he'll need to have along the way. But more importantly, what struck me was he'll get his little phone out, his cell phone and his iPad, and he'll pull up the peak that he's going to run and he will look for the pathway that's going to take him to the top. For him, the top is the finish line. And he takes time to look and see all of the venues and all of the curves and the elevations that are going up and down that will get him there. He puts it on his phone so that if he ever kind of gets lost from the crowd, he can find his way. But I think more importantly, it's for his wife, Corey, who can then sit at home on her cell phone and track him and see where he is in the race. Paul begins this section by describing what it is he is going after. He is focused on the end result, not merely the beginning of the race. And here it is. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's the finish line for Paul. That's what he was striving to reach. Paul realized that in coming to a full understanding of Christ and his death, we have the power to model our lives after him. 
The finish line for Paul is to be a model of Jesus, who he was and who he is. Paul's ultimate destination is to end up looking like Jesus and his life. Let me take you back 18 months. Paul must have been in that series I was delivering 18 months ago because he really became what? How many can remember it? Say it out loud. Become the visible Jesus. I was, I was excited to see one of the candidates even say that in his testimony. But that was the des destination for Paul. He wanted to become a model, and he, needed, he realized that he needed the power of God within his life to reach that goal. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to, to be on a track team. But I, I, tracked, I was on a track team in the Army. That was quite some years ago, and I won't be on one now. But I do recall some things and one of the most important things on the track team when I was running the 100-meter dash or the 400-meter dash was the starting blocks. The starting blocks are set on the track for a purpose. So that as you coil, coil, coil yourself down into a crouched position, the lower part of your torso, torso is like a spring. It's all wound up. And when the gun goes off, all of that power from your lower torso springs forward with such power because the blocks are the, re are the reinforcement behind you that shoots you forward as fast as you can. There were a couple of times that I decided I didn't like the blocks, and so I tried to run without them. I made about three paces and fell flat on my face because I ran with such power that I, I could not keep my balance. Well, I believe that Jesus, on his race to Calvary, sets forth for us the starting blocks that we will be required to reach our finish line. Here they are, as Jesus walked towards Calvary, his race, he shows us three things. First, determined to be submissive. Determined to be a person who is submissive. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet I want your will, not mine. I am becoming more and more convinced as I read the Easter story year after year after year that on the Mount of Olives, hours before Jesus was arrested, God the Father revealed the finish line to him. He revealed his finish line. The scourging, the beating, thorns pressed into his head, being abandoned and crucified. Probably the most cruel death of all history of mankind. And I think just for a moment, Jesus might have said, Daddy, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. But before he got the last word out of his mouth, he said, but your will, not mine. 
one of our starting blocks. If we're going to grow to become the church that Jesus Christ wants us to become, and that means that we're going to grow as people to be what Jesus wants us to be, we need to get the starting blocks right. Second one, determined to sacrifice. My father, or no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down and when, when I want, and also to take it up again. For this is what my father commanded. The key word is voluntary. The key word is voluntary. Sacrifice for us means that we voluntarily put something aside to race towards our finish line. Those things that don't seem to, 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 to head us in the right direction and they, they become more pleasurable to us or more desirous to us means we can voluntarily follow two paths. You can sacrifice time, you can sacrifice moments, you can sacrifice things or not. It's your choice. And if we're going to reach the goal, we're going to have to take the starting blocks correctly and sacrifice. And thirdly, be determined to become humble. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. These are three simple words for us. They're very simple. Submissive, sacrifice, humble. But do we know how powerful they are when we follow them? The book of Romans says, and spoke to me many years ago, one not ought to think more highly of himself. One should not think more highly of himself than they ought. Humble is simply laying yourself, laying yourself down. Paul's, Paul said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. In other words, submit to God's desire, sacrifice for the sake of others, humble oneself to serve as we can. That, I believe, are the starting blocks. That was the ultimate finish line for Paul, that he would be like Jesus. He was determined to get there, and so, do we, and so we do well to look at the principles that will get us across the finish line. Paul recognized the process. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, 
Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Three simple things, but they're not so simple. First, we must be determined and willing to enter the race. We must be determined to enter the race. Paul said, I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things, that I have already reached perfection. That sentence alone identifies that Paul had entered the race. Now, I've watched my own life in particular and other friends of mine who are believers and pastor churches, and I've come to the conclusion that there are kind of three kinds of Christians, three kinds of believers, all saved, all know Jesus Christ as their Savior, all recognize that eternal life is theirs because of Christ and not of themselves. But there are three kinds. There's those Christians that are in the stands. They sit in the stands and they're, they're boisterous and they're excited and they're pushing everybody on. Go get them, Billy Graham. Go get them, Dr. Swindle. Go get them, whatever name you want to put in there. And they're leading them on. And they're believers. But then there are those Christians that are on the infield of a track. They're kind of just alongside of the track. And they're watching the racers. And I know if you've ever been in a, mar have ever been in a marathon or seen a marathon on TV, you'll notice every so many kilometers, they'll have a table... And there'll be some refreshments in there, and there'll be some, some nutrition for you to take. And I believe that there are Christians on the side of the track that do just that. They're cheerleaders. And they encourage us, they encourage the racers to go on. And they feed us encouragement, and they, they give us nutrients, spiritual nutrients. But they're not in the race. You see, to reach the finish line, we've got to get on the track. We've got to actually make the decision to get on the track and run. Paul was willing to do that. He was determined to enter the race, not just to be on the sidelines. As a post-Pentecost believer, his strongest ambition was to be a partner with Christ, to run the path that had been assigned him to enter that race. Secondly, we must be determined to press on no matter what the cost. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first professed me. You cannot reach the prize if you quit the race. You cannot reach the prize if you quit the race. There was a heart-rendering story about uh, Eric, Derek Redman, who was running the 400-meter semifinal uh, in, the, in the British Olympics. He tore his hamstring and fell to the track. He struggled to his feet and began to hobble, determined to complete the race. His father ran from the stands to help him off the, to help him off the track. But the athlete refused to quit. He leaned on his father, and the two limped to the finish line together to a deafening applause. I want to say to you, my friends, my beloved believers, church, when you're in the race, 
and you feel you need to quit because it's getting difficult, and you fall and stumble, there is someone beside you who will pick you up and march you to the finish line, and his name is Jesus. And he will come alongside of you because he wants you to stay in the race. He will come alongside and pick you up, and we must be determined to stay in the race, no matter the cost. Third, we must be determined to focus on what lies ahead, not behind. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not received it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. The greatest illustration I can give you for that is your own vehicle, if you have one. The, window of the, win the windshield of the car is much bigger than the rearview mirror. Why is that? So you will focus ahead. We will be able to see better ahead, and we only look behind to make sure we're still going ahead. The 1992 Summer Olympics featured one poignant moment. American sprinter, sprinter Gail Devers the clear leader in the 100-yard hurdles, tripped over the last barrier. She agonizingly pulled herself to her knees and crawled the last five meters, finishing fifth, but finishing the race. We need to focus on the end of the race. When we focus where we are, we will stumble and fall. We need to be focused, and fourthly, be determined or must be willing never to lose sight of the prize. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The gold medal of our lives awaits us when Jesus found us and we chose to follow him. Timothy puts it this way. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. My dear brothers and sisters, it's not how you start the race with Jesus, it's how you finish. It's not how you start the race, it's how you finish. In closing, let me take you back to October 20th, 1968. I invite you to come with me to the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. The time, 7 p.m., the closing of ceremonies had just been completed, the spectators and athletes, still warm from the euphoria of the celebration, were gathering their belongings to leave the stadium and the inner field. Then the announcer asked everyone to remain in their seats. Down the boulevard came the whine of police sirens. From their vantage point, many in the stadium could see motorcycles with their flashing blue lights encircling someone making his way toward the stadium. Whoever it was, he was moving slowly. Everyone remained seated to see the last chapter of the Mexico Olympics take place. By the time the police escort got to the stadium, the public address announcer said that a final marathoner would be making his way into the arena and around the track to the finish line.
Confusion was evident among the crowd and the athletes alike. The last marathoner had come in hours ago. The medals had already been awarded. What had taken this man so long? But the first sign of the runner making his way out of the tunnel and onto the track told the whole story. His name, John Stephan Aquari from Tanzania, covered with blood, hobbled into the light. He had taken a horrible fall early in the race, whacked his head, damaged his knee, and endured, endured trampling before he could get back on his feet. And there he was, over 40 kilometers later, stumbling his way to the finish line. The response of the crowd was overwhelming. It was almost frightening. They encouraged Aquari through the last few meters of his race with a thundering ovation that far exceeded the one the winner of the race earlier had received. When Aquari crossed the finish line, he collapsed into the arms of the medical personnel who immediately rushed him off to the hospital. The next day, Aquari appeared before sports journalists to field their questions about his extraordinary feat. The first question was one that any of us would ask. Why, after sustaining the kinds of inj injuries you did, would you ever get up and proceed to the finish line when there was no way you could possibly place in the race? John Stephan Aquari said this, my country did not send me over 11,000 kilometers to start a race. They sent me over 11,000 kilometers to finish a race. I wonder if you'll be asking yourself what your race is at TBC. What is the race that God has called us to? Yes, we have our personal race of salvation. We have our personal race of maturing in Jesus. But for the last number of weeks, your elders and Pastor Ken have showed us our finish line for Thornhill Baptist Church. Do you know what it is? You know what the finish line for us is? It's right there. That's the finish line. That's the race that God has called us into. That's the race that God laid on the hearts of the elders for TBC. Do we have the determination to accept it individually? Rainey was right when he said, this is not necessarily a program. This is not necessarily a schedule. It is inward being. It is inward decision. I want to be like that. I want to be part of that community. And I want to participate in that community. My question is, are you willing? Think about it. Where do you want to be? 
You want to be in the stands? Cheering on Pastor Gary and Pastor Zig and Pastor Ken and go get them, guys. Or maybe you just want to be in the, in the, along the track and say, okay, when, when Pastor Gary gets down, I'll, I'll really give him a big hug. Or do you want to get on the track and run the race? God is calling this church to a new place. And I believe it is a place that excites me about our vision statement where the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt and brings. I will continue my series of what it means to be Holy Spirit-led. But you got to get in the race. You got to get on the track. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and they're going to close with a praise song, a worship song. And as you're sitting there beginning to sing, and somehow or some way, God has quickened your heart and says, I, I'm not sure I got it before, but I get it now. I get it now. And I want to be on the track. And if you're kind of feeling that way and you feel that you'd just like to identify yourself to God, you know, just stand up. If not, that's fine. But that's our race, folks. That's our finish line. Not only for the church, but who, who, for all who are part of this church.